0: you can live out your master chef dreams when you find a professional on Angie to tackle your dream kitchen remodel. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Visit Angie.com. You can do this when you Angie that.
1: Through 25 seasons, hey! 4,561 episodes, I believe The Oprah Winfrey Show is one of the greatest classrooms in the world.
0: I really never thought of it that way.
1: The aha moments... The breakthroughs, the LOLs, the connections, the occasional ugly cry. I'm missing so terribly. I miss missing every single minute. The moments that mattered, the eye-opening life lessons. Never allow them to take you somewhere else. I'm bringing them back. Woo! It's time to open the vault. I've personally chosen these classic episodes to share with you again. Every single person you ever will meet shares that common desire. They want to know, do you see me? Do you hear me? Does what I say mean anything to you? You are listening to The Oprah Winfrey Show, the podcast. I'd like you to listen to something. It is a recorded tape of a 38-year-old woman who is stuffed inside a garbage can with duct tape around her wrists, her ankles, and her entire face. That was the frantic voice of uh, Terry, who is a mother of two. She should be dead, but she uh, is not. She survived, and you will meet her in just a moment. I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm really just so tired of seeing headline after headline of women being hurt or killed at the hands of their abusive partners. Based on the statistics alone, uh, I have to believe that just about every woman watching is either with or knows somebody who is with a man who is capable of becoming violent. And that's why I'm really happy to have Gavin DeBecker back. He has advised everyone from the CIA and the Supreme Court to presidents and world leaders about how to be more safe. His book, Gift of Fear, I think is a gift that every woman should give her daughter, every father should give his daughter. Uh, Gavin says, when a man kills their spouse, or girlfriend, it is often predictable and also preventable. And he's developed a new tool that he knows will save lives. It's called Mosaic. You can
0: start your day off right. When you find a professional on Angie to get your plumbing right first. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Visit Angie.com. You can do this when you Angie that.
1: Welcome back. Thank you. Always Thank glad you. to have you here. Thank you. I feel it. Thank you. So, what does is, what is mosaic mean? I know that this is your passion in life. It is. people to save themselves.
2: I said if I was uh, hit by a bus tomorrow, hoping not to be, that this would be the thing that I have done that I'm most proud of because it takes, it's artificial intuition, basically.
1: Artificial intuition. Right.
2: It takes the, the factors of a situation and breaks them down and then sees all these pieces of the puzzle and puts it back together in a way that... That's why it's called Mosaic. Indeed, in a way that in, the, in a domestic violence situation, a woman can see the picture for the first time. Because so many times, let's say, a woman is uh, interviewed by a police officer in a domestic violence situation, and they'll ask questions, and, and she'll say, uh, yes, he hits me sometimes, but only when he drinks, or yes, he's such-and-such, but only when it's hard at work. With Mosaic, There is no way to back away from the issues. You answer the issues one by one. And the early mosaics were made for, we did one for the U.S. Supreme Court to assess threats to justices. We did one for the U.S. Capitol Police for for congressmen. The CIA uses it. All kinds of people use it. And suddenly it hit me, these people are not getting attacked very often. And it was around the time we did the Gift of Fear show with Mm -hmm. you that I saw that strategy ought to be made available to women because there's a woman in America killed every four hours by a husband or boyfriend. Mm-hmm. And so this method we had, which was so fantastic and was, was getting better and better, suddenly became something that women could do even over the Internet. And oh, I think where it we t- are now.
1: I, I think it's so important to, to emphasize, again, because, you know, the stories that we see on the news, you and I have talked about this, mm. scare women, uh, mm. these stories about being abducted or, you know, being, uh, you know, attacked by a stranger. But most people are attacked and killed by people they know.
2: Yes, and particularly women. When you look at the 3,100-odd women who are killed each year in America, the majority of those are by a husband or boyfriend.
1: Okay. So you can use the Mosaic questionnaire for yourself or on behalf of someone else. It's totally anonymous. As Gavin said, it's a series of 48 questions that can help you determine how much of a threat an abuser poses to a family. So what is so interesting to me, I've interviewed many women who were in abusive relationships, they always, when you first ask them, they always say, oh, no, he doesn't hit me. And then if you question more, they'll say, but he has shoved me, he's pushed Mm. me, you know. It's something about being physically hit that women don't want to say. And they think, as long as he hasn't hit me, Mm. it's okay.
2: When that's only one of the many pre-incident indicators, one of the many behaviors that indicate that violence is likely to escalate, possibly even to homicide. There's a whole bunch of other factors other than than just hitting.
1: Okay. So give us an example.
2: Uh, One is something called uh, symbolic violence. And symbolic violence is the destruction of uh, tearing up wedding pictures. You come home and the wedding gown is torn up. That's Mm -hmm. symbolic violence. Another one is the pace of the relationship at the beginning. You go back to when it was still good. Mm-hmm. And I ask women, what was the pace of the relationship? Did he put on the agenda early such things as, let's get married, let's have kids, let's live, in, let's live together, let's move in together? When the pace is accelerated like that in the beginning, that is itself a control strategy. Mm-hmm. And women feel uncomfortable. And they'll tell you, yeah, I felt it was a little bit fast, but what could I do? He, he loved, loved me so much. Yes, That's he right. loved me. Another one is persistence. Hmm. You know, persistence is overrated in America, we're told, if you just stay with it. I think people have confused persistence with perseverance. Perseverance, great. Okay, you worked hard. You get to this place. That's one thing. But persistence, where you keep at something over and over again, I think the message is that persistence does not mean you are special. Persistence means he is troubled. Wow. What do most women do with persistence is they say, well, he calls me so often, he writes to me so often, he's always talking about me, he's always getting me gifts. Yeah. As you'll hear today, gifts like a car that he owns, that he controls, that he's got the navigation system on, gifts like a phone that he can tell where you are, that he can always reach you. They're so the, really
1: so this persistence issue, I never forgot 10 years ago, mm. Gift of Fear, which is now on Kindle, uh, and I think every woman should read, uh, when you said in, in, the, in The Gift of Fear that if you say no to anybody in any situation mm. and they persist, then your next question should be, why are they trying to control me? Anybody
2: who doesn't hear the word no is trying to control you. That might be a salesperson in a department store who says, Do you want some help? No thanks, I'm okay, I'll look myself. No, 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 let me show you that. No. No. Oh, and did they're...
1: you all get that? Isn't that so true when you take that in? <laughs> Anybody who doesn't respond to your no is trying to control you. That's whether it's your two-year-old.
2: And there's a a part of this that's cultural as well. We've talked about it in the past, and it's so powerful for people to remember. That is that the word no is different for men and women. When a man says no, it is the end of a discussion. When a woman says no, it is the beginning of a negotiation. It's the beginning of, you said, no, I'd rather not have a drink. Oh, come on, just have one drink. We'll just head over here. And a woman who buckles there, uh-huh. at that point, this is really early in the relationship, is likely to, I see you doing that. That's right. It continues like that. It is likely going. to buckle again and again and again. And he learns that when you say no, it doesn't, you don't mean no.
1: It means yeah. let's start the negotiation. That's
2: right. Let's start the negotiation. And, and you apply your pressure, you apply your persistence, you apply your strategy, you apply your control. It's going to work.
1: Wow. How fantastic is it to have that information? That's mm. really good. Okay, so we're going to get started with Terry. You heard her in that 911 call at the top of the show. Gavin says that story is just a textbook example of how an abusive relationship can escalate to homicide. Terry's ex-husband tried to kill her by beating her in the head with a baseball bat, then stuffing her in that garbage can. Before we hear the chilling details, see what happened when Terry took Gavin's mosaic test, the same one we're asking you to do for yourself or someone in your family, uh, when she took it the other day.
2: Go ahead. What we'll do here is actually do the assessment, taking uh, the individual factors one by one. I'll ask you questions. Okay. First question I've got is we'll go back to before the most violent incidents. We were you both maintaining separate residences? Yes,
0: we were divorced.
2: Okay. Did he take responsibility for his behavior or did he blame others?
0: Never. It was always somebody else's fault, my fault. Um, You know, if he was arrested, it was the policeman's fault.
2: How would you say he resolved conflict?
0: Anytime something didn't go his way, he would threaten people, intimidate people.
2: Did he threaten others or harass and accuse others?
0: I had six babysitters that quit because he would scare them, intimidate them. I had to get a court order that he couldn't talk to any babysitters anymore.
2: This one here is how did he respond or react to the ending of the relationship?
0: Extremely against it, extremely, um, quote unquote, I do not believe in divorce.
2: Mm. What things had you done to get him to stop his abusive or inappropriate pursuit?
0: Divorce and the restraining order.
2: <laughs> his history of compliance with court orders.
0: Sorry, I have to laugh. <laughs> mm. No compliance with court orders, with court okay. orders no.
1: Right. So what were
2: Terry's results? Uh, Mosaic expresses its results on a scale of 1 to 10, with 10 being the most likely to escalate, including homicide. And hers was 9 on a scale of 1 to 10. Hmm. The only reason it wasn't 10 is that uh, he did not abuse alcohol. If you'd added that one factor, which is a serious factor in cases, you'd have 10 on a scale of 1 to 10.
1: Well, you would agree that it's a miracle that Terry is sitting here today, really.
2: Well, it is. It was the most... It's chilling, and it'll even sound uh, macabre, but the the reality is that we studied thousands of cases where women are killed, (laughs) and then we reverse engineer to see the features of those cases. But I never got to interview somebody who basically was killed. Uh, And and she was injured enough to end life. She was, you know, left in that circumstance, freezing. And only because of medical intervention and some great police work was she found after 20-some-odd hours in that trash can.
3: Um, first of all,
1: welcome. Thank you. are alive. Yes. <laughs> and uh, I just know that your story today is going to save a lot of people. And we're going to dissect Terry's story from the very beginning. We're doing that not because we want to just probe into her life, but because we want you to be able to see your life and your situation through Mosaic. He
0: seemed to be the perfect mate for me, you know, good job, church-going, fun-loving, wanted kids. What else could I ask for? After we dated for about three months, he went into the whole marriage thing. I wasn't really ready for that. It was was too soon. But he persisted and persisted, so of course I said yes. I had seen his temper a few times, but I told myself, well, he's not like that with me. My parents and my friends saw the signs, I did too, but I didn't want to acknowledge them. I went to my wedding day with some apprehension, and I still remember my dad. He turned to me and said, we can turn around and walk out the door. And I thought to myself, it'll be fine. Once we're married, it'll be fine. He'll be happy, and everything will will be good The honeymoon should have been a beautiful honeymoon. We went to Hawaii. Probably about the second day, we got into a dumb little argument about what to wear on a hike. He said, I'm your husband. You listen to me. You you do what I say. And because I said no to him, I got a couple blows to my head with the palm of his hand. I thought to myself, maybe that was just a really weird fluke. Maybe that's all the stress that was built up from getting married and from the wedding. I felt there's got to be something that I can do
1: to make things better. Nothing that I say here today is meant to be in judgment of you, but just really, because I know the reason why you're here, because you want to help people. So I would say for everybody here right now who has a wedding scheduled and you're feeling what you were feeling, can you describe what you were feeling? Yes. Before the wedding, I
0: thought, you know, i I don't know if I want to do this. I've seen his temper. My parents told me they didn't like him. He wasn't very respectful to my parents or to his own parents. And I saw this. But being the type of person I am, well, you know, I'll marry him and I'll fix it. I'll make him happy. He'll be a better person when he's married to me. Um, I fooled myself. You
1: fooled yourself. Okay, Gavin, I want you to walk us through all the red flags.
2: One thing is, you said being the type of person I am, it's being the type of person I was. Right. Because I know you're not that person now. No, I'm not. You spend a lot of time together, and you've got the courage to do all that you're doing and teaching other people, et cetera. Warning signs there. Uh, one is the intuitive feeling that things are not right. So intuition always pays off, and you had quite a bit of it. You had the feeling that things aren't right. By one means or another, you'd express Rapid. things to your family. And it's not typical for a father to say, at a wedding date, hey, we can get out the back door here if you want to. Yep. And, and that, that is a hard time to make a decision to turn around, no doubt about it. Weddings carry all their own pressure. The obvious one...
1: But OK, can I stop mm. you right there? Because mm. someone said, uh, I heard somebody say once that they had cold feet. And then I heard somebody else say, I didn't have cold feet. My, my feet were in two buckets of cement. <laughs> so. What, how, what's the difference between, oh, this is just cold feet, because everybody says, oh, my God, you know, everybody feels that way. Am I right. doing the right thing? How do you know the difference between that feeling it's and... The,
2: it's the why. It's all in the why. If you say, I don't know if I'm ready, I don't know if I want to be in a marriage, I don't know if I... That's a different animal from, uh, I have fear. I have fear of this person. Because I tell you, there is no circumstance in which a marriage, which is about a union, mm-hmm. There's no role for fear in that. There's no place wow. for it. Mm-hmm. And so fear is the real indicator there. The other, the other thing is that uh, he, what I talked about earlier, he accelerated the pace so profoundly. She gets to a place, you see on that tape, where she says, well, he was so persistent and he wanted it so much, and so I had to do it. Uh-huh. The message today is you don't have to do it.
1: So when you took that mosaic test that we're asking all of you to go to Oprah.com and take, um, particularly if you're involved in a situation where it could escalate to violence or you know someone who could. When you took the test, what question stood out for you?
0: One huge one that stood out was the question, does he take responsibility for his actions? Huge. And not even just with me, with his job, with anything that went wrong in his life. It was his boss's fault. It's the neighbor's fault. It's the other guy's fault. It's always someone else's fault. Mm
1: -hmm. Blames others. Blames Blames others. others. And so when did you... This is the thing I never get, uh, is the moment you are hit, and being hit is such a humiliating thing. It's not just, you know, the physicality of it. It's just so humiliating and degrading. And anybody who's been hit is humiliated and degraded. What did you tell yourself to overcome that?
0: The very first time, the, the first thought that came into my mind was, I'm leaving. We're in Hawaii, we're on our honeymoon, I'm leaving. But he had flight tickets, he had you know, the credit card, he had everything, I felt sort of stuck. Um, then I started thinking, I'll call my parents and have them come pick me up. But then I started thinking logically, mm. well, my parents don't wanna come down to Hawaii and get me in on all this. And I just thought to myself, you know what, I will, maybe I'll listen to him next time and do what he wants to do to make him happy, and that won't happen. Okay,
1: so not, uh, not all your, you know, bing, 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 danger zone signs went off? I mean, when somebody hit you, you didn't think, good God. Right. First, it's a shot. It, he never hit you before?
0: No. He never And actually, you. the first thing I did was pick up the phone to call the police, but I thought, Am, I'm in Hawaii. Is there a 911? I don't even know. Mm-hmm. Um, and th- that, that was the first instinct. Go.
2: You can see that all your first ideas were the ones. So it comes up into your mind, which is a total gift, these ideas, these mm-hmm. plans, and then we start to debate and prosecute our own ideas and go through this process that lets us stay in situations we don't want to be in.
1: Okay. So, Terry was divorced. Is it true that most spousal murders happen after the woman leaves? Overwhelmingly. Yes.
2: About 77% of the time, Because that's why you need a plan. That's why you need help, because separation, uh, estrangement, that's the
1: time that the homicides happen. All right. So when you divorced, did it escalate?
0: Oh, yeah. From the time I left to the time this happened, it just continued to escalate. We had police intervention many times. We shared custody of our two daughters. So there was always that back and forth. We always had to see one another. He on numerous occasions hit me, you know, the name-calling, the hitting. And uh, it just continued to get worse and worse, the thumbing the nose at the court orders. Anything he could
1: possibly do to stay in control and to say, I'm in charge. Well, you know, I I think, Gavin, I think it would be uh, important for you to address because when you're having to communicate in a situation like this where, you know, it's escalating, but you're but you have to communicate because of the children, what do you do? Well,
2: it's the toughest question, and it's not something, you know, it doesn't lend itself to a magazine article or a television show to say, here are the prescriptions for what to do. It's like you have cancer, and we can't say, here are the ten things to do. There's going to be a road to go down. The biggest message that I can share is you cannot do it entirely alone. And the good news is you don't have to. There are resources like uh, the National Domestic Violence Hotline, which is... uh, TheHotline.org, www.TheHotline.org. And there are resources like battered women's shelters in your community. And a lot of women think, well, I'm not going to a battered women's shelter. That's the last thing I want to do. Well, sometimes it is the last thing a person wants to do. It's a little like an emergency room. I don't want to go, but I'm having a heart attack. Take me there right now. I want to go. Mm -hmm. Battered women's shelter, if you believe that you're really in a situation where violence is going to continue, Uh, Battered Women's Shelter is the best help you can get because they know about the escape plan. They know what to do with the kids. They know what to do with the pets. They know what to do with the bank account. One other fast thing I want to note is that, you know, we hear a lot of times that I was hit. And people say, is that a clue? Being hit is not a clue. It is the end of the mystery. (laughs) Being hit is conclusive. It's over. The assessment is done. Being hit doesn't work in relationships. And it usually doesn't get better. Very few relationships, very few. and and some people in this room may be included, where you remember, he hit me one time at the beginning of the relationship and he never did again. That's a rare circumstance. It happens, but it's a rare circumstance. But most of all, I want to say you cannot do it alone. You can't get out of a violent relationship on your own, and you don't have to.
1: Gavin says abusers are typically very controlling. Terry says her ex certainly was. And uh, so many times women mistake that controlling jealousy thing for, well, he just loves me, right?
2: Well, control, complete control, uh, is a lot of attention. It takes a lot of attention. And we're brought up to think attention equals love. Control doesn't equal love.
1: Gavin De Becker has used his 30-plus years in the security business to come up with a way to help women predict if they may be in a life-threatening situation with an abuser. It's called Mosaic. It is a 48-question assessment that you can take or you can take on behalf of someone that you may be worried about. It's all anonymous, and it's all free. The link is on Oprah.com. Let's continue on with uh, Terry's story. Terry and her ex-husband David shared custody of their two daughters, And one Saturday, when she went to pick them up, David said, "The girls are playing inside. They're playing hide-and-seek.": Yes. and uh, invited you inside." And Terry says, she had a funny feeling about that. And I always say that that funny feeling is just like, it really is, it's like a little whisper. just is like, hmm, that's odd, or that's strange, or I don't know. Everybody has had that funny feeling. But here's what can happen when you ignore it. My gut was saying, why is he letting me come in his house? Right away I knew. This is kind of
0: weird. He hasn't allowed me in his house since the day I left. But I was cold. My car was running out of gas, and I think most of all, my kids were hiding, they wanted me to come find them, and I didn't, I didn't want to disappoint them. So I kind of overlooked, talked myself out of that, that feeling. I walked into the foyer and I remember saying, gee, I wonder where they are. And bam, a blow to the back of the head. He continued to hit me with a baseball bat numerous times. Then he said, you always said I abused you, now you can see what abuse really is. When he was st- trying to strangle me, he was saying, just go to sleep. Just go to sleep. Just stop breathing. Just stop breathing now. He was mad again that he was ordering me to stop breathing, and I wasn't. He duct taped my wrists together and my ankles. He then had this big garbage can. that could feel he was you know, putting me in it head first. I'm thinking, if I go in head first, I'm gone. I'm bleeding everywhere. I'm in this garbage bin and he's filling it up with snow. What started going through my head was, I'm gonna die today. I'm gonna die. And uh...
1: What happened next?
0: He put me on the the back of his truck and actually he went back in the house and I knew it had to be to get the kids because I knew they probably had to be in the house somewhere. Knowing that they were four and six, it would take a few minutes Remembering that I had my cell phone in my pocket, Uh, even though my so what's
1: duct taped? Your mouth is duct taped. Wrists, uh,
0: ankles, and entire face. Uh Um, Remembered I had my cell phone in my pocket, and even though I couldn't see, felt the buttons. I tell everyone, close your eyes, and see if you could dial. Not really, but you know, see if you could dial the numbers of nine one one on your phone. Practice that. I dialed nine one one, and. It took just a few minutes and I heard sirens, but by that time, he came back to the truck, started it up. We were on our way. The police didn't know that we were on the road, so I heard the sirens pass me right
1: up. Oh. So where are you? You're still on the back of the truck. You're on the back of the truck. I'm in a garbage can. In the garbage garbage can can. on the back of the truck.
0: Yes. Uh Yes. He goes up to Milwaukee. He dumps my car off. I didn't know this at the time. Um, Found out later he even went through, like, a drive-thru. And... Did he have the girls with him? Yeah, the girls with him in front of the cab. And at one point, I thought, I'm going to stick my hand out, because the lid wasn't on, of the garbage can, and somebody is going to see a hand hanging out and call the police. Uh, His truck stopped after that. He came back. I was either hit in the head with a baseball bat or kicked. I don't know what it was. Um, At that point, my phone rang. I don't know who called and none of my friends will admit it to this day. (laughs) But my phone rang, he heard it, so he took my phone from me at that point. Um, He got back in the cab, drove around. I I was blacking in and out. I had no idea how long it was. He eventually stopped, which I didn't know at the time where we were, but stopped at a storage locker in Illinois, went across state lines. And I remember feeling, being lifted up from the garbage can, dragged into the storage locker. All I remember was hearing, Boxes and all these things being slid against the floor. Mm-hmm. Had no idea where I was. Um, certainly didn't want to see anything. I wanted him to think that I was dead already, or he'd probably shoot me, played dead, went into what he told me to do. Um, and he was successful in taking boxes, two by fours, crates, anything he could do, pile it all around, all on top of the garbage can that I was in. So there was no way I was getting out of there. Uh, I heard. The door closed, so I figured he'd left.
1: You were inside a storage locker.
0: Inside the garbage can, inside the storage locker, unheated, January, and And snow. snow inside
1: the garbage. And snow. Okay. So she was trapped there for more than 20 hours. Her (coughs) body temperature dropped to 84 degrees. So doctors estimate she only had an hour to live. An hour to live. Wow. (laughs) Detective... Chris Schmeling was one of those police officers who found Terry. How did you find her?
3: There was an Amber Alert that was put out um, for her. For her. It's important to understand is that rescue call that Terry described at her house, that first 911 call, was a call for a woman who had difficulty breathing. Um, our squads were dispatched there, and that was the sirens you heard. We didn't know at that time that she was in the back of a car. We didn't know at the time of a vehicle description. We didn't know that till much later.
1: Wow. Okay, so connect the dots for us.
3: So so now uh, our deputies get there, and uh, they make forced entry into the home, um, and they start making some observations. They see there's signs of a struggle. They could see some blood. Clearly something bad bad happened there. Interview of neighbors. One of the neighbors reported seeing Terry's vehicle being towed on the back of the truck. So now the suspicions are obviously uh, being rose. Uh, The Amber Alert is put out, and uh, essentially he's picked up at his place of employment right right after he dropped Terry off.
1: Right after he put her in the storage locker? Exactly. Okay. So Terry lost all ten toes to uh, frostbite after she had been, been rescued. So once he was picked up, what happened?
3: Uh, he's picked up, and uh, he's a real matter of fact. He's a very articulate person, uh, doesn't understand what's going on. Um, they explained to him there's an Amber Alert. Where's your wife? Where's your kids? Well, I just dropped my children off at, uh, to a girlfriend's house, and he hasn't seen Terry since, I think it was the Wednesday prior. Mm. Real matter of fact.
1: Real matter of fact.
3: So they take him into custody, and they bring him to the Willing Police Department, uh, where I went and interviewed him with uh, a partner of mine.
1: If most wives, though, Gavin, are murdered after they leave, how do women stay safe if they uh, still have to see their exes for the children?
2: It's the toughest question. It's mm-hmm. the toughest one, and why it takes so much courage to get out of a relationship that's violent because you are concerned about your safety, the kids' safety, and then all the other issues like support and what have you. The best answer that I have is you cannot do it alone and you have no reason to do it alone, which gets back to www.thehotline.org and uh, the domestic, National Domestic Violence Hotline and your local battered women's shelter, because there is no other way to develop all that you'd have to do. It's like going into the Witness Protection Program. There are so many parts to a, an escape plan.
1: Yeah. And so the most important thing to say to women if you're in this situation and where you know that your life could be, is, is endangered, is you have to have a plan. Mm -hmm. And when you call the, the domestic hotline, they help you develop a plan. They do. Or a local shelter. They help you develop a plan. It is the
2: most important thing. And also to realize that if a relationship is violent and difficult to stay in, it is also going to be violent and difficult to get out. Mm-hmm. And that leverage is often used by men to keep women in, the obvious one being, as she was told, and, and most are, I'll kill you if you leave. And so that sticks. And at that point, it takes all the more resolve to get help, but it's this remembering that you can't do it alone and you don't have to do it alone that's and, important.
1: And, and the, the, uh, the option, though, is, is that most women don't recognize, I'll kill you if I leave, or you're going to die a little every day when you right. stay. You're dying a little every day.
2: There's a woman I interviewed, and she told me her whole story. And she said, I think I might be killed. And I said, well, you've got a teenage daughter. What would you tell your teenage daughter in the same circumstance? And she'd say, "Uh, you have to get out of the relationship. And I said, well, what's the difference between you and your teenage daughter? She couldn't answer. And I said to her, the difference is that your teenage daughter has you, and you don't have you. She'd lost herself so much.
1: Mm. So, okay, I would like to continue to where, how you actually ca- found her in the trash can in the place.
3: Okay, so after interviewing Mr. Larson, uh, over six hours of interrogation, which was pretty much a, a begging and pleading session on my part...
1: Because you were begging him to tell you where his wife was?
3: Begging and pleading. Begging and pleading. We knew she was badly injured. We knew it was very urgent. we find her. He wouldn't tell us. He wanted to take a break. It's 3.30... About 3.30 in the morning. He wants to go back to his cell. He goes back to his cell, wraps himself in a warm blanket, falls fast asleep. Unbeknownst to us, she's uh, lying there, dying. So we go back, we take a look at this wallet. We find a business card. Uh, that business card uh, is to a storage facility in Wheeling, Illinois. Uh, it was very suspicious, I know, on a part of my partner's part. When he looks at that, why would a Racine County resident man have a storage facility in Wheeling, Illinois? drew a lot of suspicion on his part. There were some phone calls made to that
1: facility. Uh, that is pers- it because he had a receipt from the, the storage? No, it was a business card. It's a business card. Business card. Wow, wow that's good detective work. <laughs> that was good. <laughs> and so as a result of... And so you looked at the business card and then what? So now time is passing.
3: Uh, we made some calls to the, the storage facility. 3.30 in
1: the morning.
3: Uh, this was in the morning. Okay. In the early morning hours. Uh, the storage facility said he had been there the prior day. Wow. Um, they had gone out to the unit and they had actually heard her voice inside the unit, pleading for help. Wow. We could have told them, hang up, call 9-1-1. And they did. And that's when...
1: And that's her how out. you found her. That's how you found her. Wow. So what do we learn from this, Gavin?
2: Well, as always, the the message of listening to your intuition again and again, we learn that being out of a relationship, particularly if there's custody and children, you're not really out of it. You're just out of it on paper. And getting truly out of it takes a lot of work and a lot of effort, and you can't do it alone.
1: And are you ever out of it when you have somebody who is violent or who, you know, is willing to do what he did? in
2: cases where men uh, don't let go, and, uh, and, and, and persist in stalking and what have you. There are situations where women relocate. It is like the Witness mm-hmm. Protection Program. There are situations where they move to other states. Mm-hmm. There are so many extreme answers, but we try to look for the simpler answers when we're in these situations. I don't want to leave my job. It's not fair. Yes. I tell people all the time, it's not fair. It has nothing to do with fairness. It has to do with safety. main thing is they're complicated. They're not simple once you've got kids. The best thing is, identifying these warning signs before you get into relationships and before you get kids when it's possible.
1: Yeah. I know. It's so interesting uh, from the gift of fear. I never forgot where you said that we are the only animals who will have that little feeling. You will sense that little feeling that Terry talked about, hmm, that's odd. He wants me to come in his house? He's never done that before. We're the only animals that will walk into the fear. Any other animal who doesn't have you know, reason
2: and thinking, reason and yeah. thinking, and intelligence that we have. An antelope thinks a lion is in the brush. It doesn't say, "I'll go over there,"
1: <laughs> or "Let me see." Mm. Or I don't
2: want to be that kind of person.
1: Yeah, I don't want yeah, to be right. that kind of antelope. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah. And so that's where it—it's—it's it's really about instinct, isn't it?
2: About intuition and about—and uh, people often use instinct and intuition interchangeably, interchangeably but a- I do. about about intuition, and about learning to respect that, uh, that you and your opinion is as valid as him and his opinion. Wow. And uh, it's a big one because it's That's not key. taught in the culture very much.
1: That's key. And so what could Terry have done? I know everybody, you know, once you're in this situation, it's like what, what, what could you have done to have prevented this from happening?
2: I think the biggest thing and, and you're saying once you're in the situation, because, of course, there's what you could do yeah, on the long wedding day. Before, and, yes. Uh-huh. And by the way, at those times, the men are usually less invested emotionally. It's much easier to end a relationship early than right. it is to end it later on because of that emotional investment. Yeah. By it's the easier time... to
1: end it when you hit the first time than it oh, is yes. when you've been beaten for four In, in fact,
2: years. Uh, I, I often say that the first time a woman is beaten, she is a victim. And the second time, she is a volunteer. That's a very controversial thing for some people because they think I'm blaming the victim. But what I'm actually doing is saying, if you don't recognize that staying in that relationship is a choice, you'll never recognize that leaving the relationship is a choice. First time a victim, second time a volunteer. Wow. And so staying in a relationship for a long time is the number one thing that people can do differently. Mm -hmm. But a lot of people believe, you know, the history of marriage has to do with property. Right? The woman becomes the man's property. Yeah. I had a case recently that I looked at involving a man who, a 24-year-old who had sex with a 17-year-old girl. She was just about to turn 18. He's going to do 28 years in prison for that. If she was 18, no crime. Do you know why? No crime because when you're 18, you don't belong to your father anymore. Mm -hmm. You're your own property. Mm -hmm. It's all about property. I'm not saying marriage is bad. It's great. I'm married. I like it. It's fine. But I don't own my wife. Mm -hmm. I don't own my kids and the culture says that it's about property so she doesn't have the freedom when she's married she's well, led to believe
1: and that's the first thing he said i'm your husband now mm. you do what i say mm. okay. and obviously there's a part of you consciously or subconsciously that believed that right. that's why you stay. his
0: other quote was your bought and paid for
1: wow terry's ex-husband is serving a life sentence now for kidnapping and <laughs> a attempted murder Do you still fear him? Yes. You do.
0: Yes, I do. Mm-hmm. He's an angry, bitter person that will never, ever change. Mm-hmm. Never. I mean, he's not sitting there thinking, wow, what did I do? Yeah. You know, trying to become a better person, when reading you the Bible. When were in court with him,
1: was it hard? Did you have to go to court? Uh,
0: yes. The first time, it, it was very hard. Um, there were a lot of different courts. Did he show uh, any remorse? Not one bit. Actually, the judge even said to him, would you like to say anything? And he said, not at this time. And the judge said, this is your time. And you know what? He didn't even have the decency to get up and say, I I don't care about Terry, but I'm sorry what I did to my kids. Mm. Nothing.
1: Thank you, Terry. Your story is going to save some people today. Thank you. Thank you. We're glad you're alive to tell it. Glad you're alive to tell it. So many women I've seen over the years, they stay because they say, well, he's doing this to me, but he cares about my kids. What do you want to say, say to that?
2: Well, a, a relationship that's violent is, uh, is not good for anybody present. And the uh, as a young girl sees her mother receive those blows, so is she likely to in 25 years. Absolutely. And as a young boy sees the father deliver those blows, so is he likely to. Because
1: that's what you're teaching your kids. That's it. Yeah. Kids don't do what you say, they do what you do. Mm. Thank you, Terry. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. DeBecker. Mm. Gavin's Cutting Edge Mosaic Assessment uh, is available to everybody watching today for free. You can take it for yourself or on behalf of a friend. It may save a life. The link is up on Oprah.com right now. So thank you for watching. Thanks, everybody. I'm Oprah Winfrey, and you've been listening to The Oprah Winfrey Show, the podcast. If you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe. Rate and review this podcast. Join me next week for another Oprah show, The Podcast. And I thank you for listening. You can start your day off right. When you
0: find a professional on Angie to get your plumbing right first. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Visit Angie.com. You can do this when you Angie that.